Welcome, all you creatures of the night and late night prowlers. This is the latest podcast episode in gore and guts, slasher screams and squeals, and all the things which conjure up your nightmare. To be afraid is accepted, but it won't save you from the dangers which leer right over your shoulder and breathe down your neck. When the lights are out and the night is still, the beating of your heart will give away your hiding place. It will find you, and it will not be forgiving. This is It Records. Welcome, all you creatures of the night. Welcome back to the It Records podcast. It is I, Matt Johnson. I am one of your hosts this evening, this morning, this afternoon, really whenever you're listening to this, but it's this evening for us. So thanks for joining us. Uh, Join with me as always is Peter Hansen and Lindsay Clark. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for uh, penciling it in. Thanks for having <laughs> us. I have a really busy schedule, so yeah, it's, it's, it's true. my pleasure. <laughs> I know it's hard to lock you down anymore, Pete. So I'm really appreciative yeah. that you can be here. You always have yeah, great banter. I'm going a lot of places lately. Just uh, my bedroom and my living room. <laughs> Well, thanks, thanks for, for uh, getting us in there. I appreciate it. There's a, a lot of spots there. I'm glad we filled one. Yeah. So here we are, the It Records podcast. Before we dive into the movie we talked about, we didn't talk about it, we watched it, and now we're going to talk about it. But before we do that, I'm going to throw the floor to you guys. What have you been watching, horror or otherwise? What's new on the docket for you guys? So I haven't really been watching, like, that much TV. Like I said before, we recording, I've been playing a lot more video games lately to keep my mind occupied. Um, but I'll tell you of something that I bought recently. Let's off, hear it. Off a of Shout Factory. So, the Vincent Price collection was out of print for a while uh, from Shout Factory, and then they're reissuing it, and I pre-ordered it. As soon as I fucking saw it, because <laughs> I was, I'm very excited because they have a lot of like well-known Vincent Price movies I've never seen, like Pit and the Pendulum, um, which, which General was it called? I can't remember the fuck. It's like something Witchfinder General or something weird like that. Well, I think that's it, actually. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna look up because it's like it's a fucking great deal like it has so many movies that i was like oh shit these are all like well known vincent price movies is the raven part of it uh that was in the one i think i have that one in the second one so i i have the second one before i got the first one because it was like available nice that sounds great what's in it is House on Haunted Hill in that package. And The Fly. It's curious. In the first one or in the second yeah. one? Yeah. We'll say the first one. Uh, I'm trying to find... I guess I gotta go to Shout Factory to figure this shit out. <laughs> we need to know. Have you guys yeah, seen I'm... The House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price? Yes, I have. Actually, I have. no. I watched it, I think, for the first time about two or three years ago. And it was a good time. I was pleasantly surprised. Because I, I have like familiar it. with the remake that was in like the late 90s growing up. But I think it had Owen Wilson in it and Liam Neeson. Are you serious? Yes. 
Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's her name? Is isn't there, isn't there a famous woman in it too? Oh, most likely. Who is, is it? Selma Hayek. Is it? No, it. It's like someone. God, who the, God damn it! <laughs> I can't picture Ellen Wilson in the mix. I just can't. Oh wait, no, I'm thinking of. Sorry, the one with Owen Wilson and Liam Neeson. I think is House on. Uh, that's the Haunting, which came out in the '90s. House on Haunted Hill is Jeffrey Rush. Tay Diggs, Jeffrey Combs, and Fabique Jansen, who I believe played Grey in Jean Grey in the X-Men series. Yes. So that's okay, how I, I was also I think I was also thinking of the Haunting remake. So the Haunting remake. 1999. Lily Taylor. Who's in The Conjuring? Mm. Okay. Is the mother in The Conjuring? She Familiar is the main face. woman in The Haunting. So, what's on Vincent Price Collection One that I just bought is Pit and the Pendulum, The Abominable Doctor Phoebes, The Haunted Palace, The Fall House of Usher, The Masquerade of Red Death, Witchfinder General. That's it. That sounds like well. a salad collection. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of those I have not seen, so I was uh, pretty happy about that. Honestly, same. Have I seen any of those? Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> I've really been you wanting to see Witchfinder General. You saw some from the second one, because I made you watch The Raven. That's in the second collection. And I think, uh, what's the other one that he's in? It's like the last man on earth, I think it is, mm. is also in that one. No theater of blood, though, right? That's another Vincent Price we've done. Yeah, I I don't think that's on. And I I think that's the reason why I never got like the third one, like because there's like three volumes of Vincent Price, and I think the third one, in my opinion, didn't have like anything good because I was like, I don't know any of these fucking movies. Gotcha. Yeah, the second one that I have, The Raven, The Comedy of Terrors, The Tomb of Ligeria, Last Man on Earth, Dr. Phoebes Rises Again, The Return of the Fly, House in Haunted Hill. Yeah, I've seen a solid um, one of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. But that sounds yeah, good. I seen I've, seen, either. I've seen one, two. I've only seen two, because I still haven't watched... I've seen The Fly, but not The Return of the Fly. And I honestly forget that it's like, I have this because it's like the way that my cabinet is for my all my movies. It's like super like at the bottom, like where my feet are, <laughs> if I would go up to it. So like, I just like never look over there. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Lindsay? What have you been watching? I think, was it Beverly Hills 90210? We were That's the one discussing last time. Yep, um, I'm still on that kick. It's gonna it's gonna take about probably a year a season, so it'll take me about ten years to finish it. Um, so in the meantime, <laughs> I've been um, <clears throat> catching up on Jersey Shore Family Vacation season three. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm almost caught up. We're getting to the point where it's Angelina's wedding. I've been waiting for this since it happened um, in real life. So, um, 
And also, like, I just want to, like, say how much I love Mike now. I used to hate him, and now he's my favorite. Does anyone else, like, have you seen the change, the evolution of the situation? I have, I, I had watched all of the original Jersey Shore. I know I've seen every episode. When they came back later, I've seen, like, that first season. But if you said this is season three now, I've missed two and three. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I haven't really seen the complete evolution of the new Mike. When does his wedding happen? Because I know I watched part of that episode. Um, his wedding was like, um, I think it was November 2018, but Angelina's wedding was November of last year, and that's the event that leads up to all this drama that they are promising us. Okay. So. I couldn't couldn't tell you what that's about because <laughs> I have not been following Jersey Shore. <laughs> and that's totally Okay. But yeah, that's what's going on with me. So uh, take it away, Matt. What have you been watching? Great question. Last time we talked, I was in the middle of community, but I finally finished that for like the fifth or sixth viewing all the way through. But I finally finished God, watching community. you flew through that. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> Didn't you watch like five episodes a day? <laughs> yeah. Basically, when it would be the weekend, it would be like Saturday morning, Wake up, make breakfast, a big breakfast and some coffee, and we'd sit down and we'd watch several episodes, like four episodes at a time. And we'd knock out a bunch, and then at the end of the day, we're ready to like knock out for the night, be like, okay, let's get another two in at least. So we could knock out at least six or so. Those are like thirty minute Not- episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without commercials they're they're quicker. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about like the gross uh binging? That I did with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Hey, that's not gross. Oh, yeah. uh, it is when you watch it in a month and you also watch Angel in a month. <laughs> yeah, I can attest and to I, how much that with is. A four, with the four-day break, I finished Buffy and I was like, man, I'm pretty sad, but what a great show. And I grieved about it for about four days. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch Angel now. <laughs> I love that. It, it took me... Just for comparison, for people who haven't watched either of those shows, I watched Buffy and then Angel back to back. But it took me several months. Like I think I started in October of 2019 and finished both series by like March. No, sorry, 2018. October 2018 and like March or so of 2019 to finish both of those. Just like watching. So doing it in two months. That's that's solid. That's yeah. I think <laughs> I, I have a year almost. I think I did the math. I think I had to watch like five episodes a day to what I did, and I definitely did that. Like there would be some days where I watched like seven, and there'd be other days where I watched like two. <laughs> so it like balances out. Yeah, it balanced it out, but it mm-hmm. was uh, it was uh, I don't know if I should be proud of that. <laughs> I'd be proud of it. That's own it. It's solid. They're they're both good series. I thought. I think I did. It proves you have good both. taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll I'll plug Buffy and Angel. Go watch them. Uh, one of my friends is watching them right now because I I plugged him. But I was the same way, Pete. Right after I finished Buffy, like the same night we finished that final episode, Angels on Hulu as well. That's where we were watching them. And I was just like, Hey, let's just start Angel. Like, right? It's right here. <laughs> let's just go. Why wait at all? Let's just start it up. A whole 
another five seasons. <laughs> so now that we are caught up, we are up to speed on what everybody's watching, horror or otherwise. We'll now tell you what we watched this week on the podcast. We watched the 1972 Italian giallo film directed by Lucio Fulci. Don't torture a duckling. And if you've been with us at all the past few weeks, this is like our third movie in a row that we are doing a giallo horror type film. So we're kind of in that subgenre. And this was who's pick this week? Was it Pete's? It was mine. Yeah. Pete's. Pete, why? Why'd you pick this one this week? What drew you to it? Um, because it was Fulci. I, uh, I think what I wanted... We haven't really talked about him in his horror significance really at all. And he, I think, at least for Italian filmmaking, he was very prominent. And, like, I feel like he kind of, like, goes hand-in-hand with... Not, like, as influential as Argento, but, like... I think they were... Fr- I don't know if, what the history of, but they're around the same time. And I would assume that they worked together at some point because it's such a small, like, community <laughs> of, like, Italian horror directors. Because, like, we talked about Bava, that him and Argento worked t- together. I would imagine that Fulci worked with them. And I knew that he had... He was at least somewhat prominent in Giallo. But probably more so in, like, I know he has some zombie flicks. And those are the ones that I've seen. Yeah. In, in terms of... Argento and Fulci I think when you talk about I guess Giallo you get Bava, Argento, but Fulci's in there and I think Fulci is more known for like gore uh, excessive gore where this movie we're going to talk about was kind of the beginning of that is what I read and his later films become more I guess violent and gore heavy compared to this one absolutely but Argento and Fulci, I, I read, didn't really work too much together, but there was a. They were trying to do a loose remake called The Wax Mask, which was a remake of 1953 Vincent Price's House of Wax, which I don't know if it came to fruition, but it was a, a collaboration between the two of them. That would have been cool. I love The House of Wax by Vincent Price. It's great. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so that's those two. Uh, Fulci is a, and we can go kind of into the horror significance of the movie. In what's it called? In Giallo, he's did what is it? Oh, okay, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. I, I had to look at that one because I kept mixing it up in my head. So that's kind of another Giallo one. But he's also known as you said, Pete, for was it Zombie or Zombie Two? City yeah. of the Living Dead. As well. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Zombie Two, they marketed it as the sequel to Dawn of the Dead because that's right. Uh, in Italy, um, Dawn of the Dead came out as zombie in Italy, and so like they tried to market it a cash grab. And Zombie Two has nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead, and it's a very bad movie, but it's like iconic, I think, with like really with, like hardcore horror fans because there's a zombie that fights a shark. And that's like pretty much about it. It's very boring, but it's uh, it has <laughs> cool special effects and a cool soundtrack, which is what Fulci is very good at. Mm-hmm. 
And what I guess Giallo is known for as well. For the horror significance, I'll give you a brief idea of Giallo if you haven't been listening to the past two podcasts. But as we said, soundtrack is pretty prominent. You have very distinct soundtracks in Giallo films. There's usually a black gloved killer of some some sort. You have POV cam, usually killed with like a knife or a blade of some sort. Uh, something I found interesting is a lot of the movies have animal names in the titles. As we've already mentioned with this one, Duckling is in the title. Yeah. And another one of Fulci's uh, has an animal name in the title. Maybe some paranormal activity or superstition built into the plot. It's a murderer who done it. Um, and there's always police involved trying to solve several murders. I think that's a lot of the different elements. And I, I found two two characteristics somebody put in here that I thought was kind of funny uh, is there's usually a scene in the cemetery or a spiral staircase. And I never really put those together until I started thinking of other Giallo movies I've watched. But there really is usually like a spiral staircase or scenes in a graveyard or cemetery. That's really they're, interesting. They're spooky. They're spooky, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But the spiral staircase, I mean, I guess they look... I guess if you film them right, they could let it kind of look off-putting or eerie. Just basically by like, in... What we what have you done to Solange? We just watched... There was that POV cam of him running away on like a spiral-type staircase. Which uh. was kind of... Um, it was meant for like, disorienting chase scene. But that's interesting. So those are your basic Giallo setup, and that's what we're going to watch here. Before we go into the plot, though, uh, I'll give you an idea, an overall synopsis for what Don't Torture a Duckling is. It follows a reporter and a promiscuous young woman who try to solve a series of child killings in a remote southern Italian town, rife with superstition and distrust of outsiders. That is the basic, I guess, overarching synopsis. That I can put together several ch- child murders, essentially, yeah. uh, are take place in this movie. So I guess to start with the, the movie, the the first, it it right from the get go. I thought there was a really it was really jarring music. Uh, like I, I had just put it on in the background, and we get kind of this like wide shot of this town. It's kind of an isolated rural Italian town and a bridge that kind of connects the rest of the world to this town. And we see a woman who I believe was digging up bones of an infant. Correct. That That's like one of the first scenes we see yes. along with yeah. those young boys running around. Which the young boys got to be Bruno, Michel and Tonino, I believe who end up spying on a couple who essentially it's some, some prostitutes, I guess, and two yeah. men who are out in the wilderness, and these boys are kind of like peeping in or attempting to peep in on what's what's going on, and they're being shooed away. I guess to set up that these boys are, and I think they were smoking cigarettes, if I believe, which I don't know if that was just more common in Italy in the 70s for young boys to smoke Cigarettes, but I thought it was just a way to set up that they're kind of mischievous or rule breakers, and they're not, you know, go to church every Sunday type boys, which we'll get into later. But 
I feel like that was kind of the the setup. Oh, that's something I, I wanted to mention. Sorry for the brain fart there. Uh, we get that wide shot at the beginning that shows the bridge that connects this rural town to the rest of the world. One thing that's more prominent in Giallo films is it takes place in like cities, denser areas. And this one kind of flips that and puts them in a rural isolated area, which is actually more common of slashers that are prominent in American horror, which we said Giallo movies were the inspiration for slashers. So this one's more, I guess, connected to slashers in America in the type of setting this movie sets up that it takes the city and makes it rural. So that was something I noticed. I don't know when Act 2 really begins uh, in this film, but after we, we notice those boys watching those young women, they go back home and we meet another character. Uh, I'm blanking on her name. But basically one of the boys and his his mother are like the house service for I guess an apartment or something where they I don't know how it what the situation is but people live in this house and they kind of do chores or errands for the people who live here you guys remember that was confusing I know exa- yeah okay I agree with you that's probably what it is I was just really confused watching it I'd be like what's going on yeah but I, I think that's correct and because that would make sense, like, why, like, the little boy, like, would bring her stuff. Yeah. And then, like, because she was rich, and we know that she was, like, sent there because she got in trouble in the, in Mulan, like, in the big city. So she was, like, in the country to, like, kind of lay low to get out of trouble. Right. That's right. Because, yeah, he, he brings this young woman who, I can't remember her name... Is it Patricia? Patricia, thank you. Yes, that is the character's name. Brings her orange juice upstairs and she is fully nude. Just (laughs) naked completely as this, like, I feel like a 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy comes up to bring her orange juice. And she, like, taunts him almost or, like, I don't even know, like, super inappropriate for, like, 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 a 10-year-old boy. Like, nothing weird is happening. Yeah. She asked him, like, how many strange. women have you been with? Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, so many. So many. <laughs> she called him a liar, but it was still a very, I don't know, awkward exchange between yeah. them. Yeah. And then it she was, was like, totally new. I was like, he's a boy. Like, what do you, what do you fucking think? <laughs> yeah. but, These fucking screenwriters, man, they're so pervy sometimes. Like, they're just like, yeah, man. I was 10 years old and this naked woman like came on to me it was fucking cool I don't know like yeah. that's what I imagined like what was going on in their brain cause like it was like a very attractive woman like would like literally never do this unless like she actually is like a pedophile obviously a pedophile would do that like that's like the yeah. vibes I was getting and I was like is she the killer because like it just made sense because these these children were being murdered. I'm like, oh, this makes her right. very guilty right away. Yeah, I think they want you to think that pretty early on that she's involved. Yeah, yeah, especially from that scene, and you learn that she has some troubled past in the city, and then it's not really revealed until later. So she's a prime suspect for 
these killings, which I can go into next because I think that's kind of the end of Act One as we get the setup of these boys who are Bruno, Mikel, and Tonino. Sorry if I'm butchering their names. And then we see the woman who's up. She's uncovering the infant bones, who we learn is La Maguera. Is that her? Her name, she's sort of seen as the gypsy woman. We meet Patricia, who lives in the house of one of the boys, who he kind of takes care of her in the residence. And then we go into the town, and we learn what happens pretty quickly is that one of the young boys is found killed. I believe this boy was drowned, is what we see. And you see the, the child, um, not the, the murder itself, the first child, but you see the kid. And that starts the media frenzy where we meet a character named Andrea, who is a journalist, and all the cops come in. And it becomes yeah. kind of an all-out media frenzy, and the cops are there trying to unravel it. Meanwhile, Andrea is kind of in with the cops, or he's kind of set up to be this journalist who has ins with the cops or can get anywhere he needs to to get the scoop. And I think that's kind of the end of Act 1. That's the setup. Because then from there, more of the killings take place. Yeah. I don't really know how to describe Act 2, honestly. Besides that, like, more people die. (laughs) Um, um, A lot of things are thrown at you. Like, you meet the priest that's, like, at the church that, like, has, like, an after... Not an after-school thing, but basically, like, he like he wants to keep the boys off the streets, so he lets them play soccer in, in, at the church, and it's like, oh, you guys just have to do, like, confession or whatever. They, like, you see him praying or whatever um, in the beginning of the movie. Isn't, isn't, aren't they at the church, right? That's where they, like, leave. Mm-hmm. Um, then you meet, like, a journalist... Uh, because, like, he's, like, on the scoop of, like, the story of, like, the boy being killed. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting so much, because there's, like, so much that fucking happens. Um, I think there's, like, what, f- fucking three boys that are murdered? Yeah, I think those are the main, the ones we see at the beginning. Yeah. They're all kind of, the first boy was killed, and that, that's about the cops in. But then in Act 2, I think the other two get killed. One gets choked out. Yeah. He, he went off into the woods, and he gets strangled. What's weird is that, like, this film has so many red herrings. Because, like, the guy in the beginning, like, that uh, that they made fun of him for being a peeping Tom, he's like, I'm going to kill you, boys. And then when one of the boys goes missing, uh, that he there's, like, a ransom for him. But then they um, find him, like, that same man, like, asking for the ransom. And, like, it wasn't, like, a lot of money. And uh, what else happened? They, like, they're like, oh, I didn't kill him. I just, like, found the bones and I wanted and I wanted money or whatever. And I don't even know what happens to him after that, honestly. Because there was, like, a whole, like, fucking media circus. And, like, people were, the whole town is, like, against him. Yeah. And then I think he might be exonerated when the second boy is killed, I think is what I imagine. And then, like, I can't remember when the gypsy woman comes into play, but I think it's after... Is it after the third one? Yeah, because... What's it called? Yeah. 
Giuseppe, which first of all, that was fucked up what Giuseppe did in general. Like, we know he's not the killer, but like, you found the bones and like had a ransom, and he's like, no, I'm innocent. Yeah. You're still messed up, dude. Like, why would you do that? Like, that's super weird. Like, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has issues for sure. Yeah, as you were saying, he he's his innocence is restored when the second boy is killed, and so he's released. But the whole time, the town was, you know, he's guilty, he's guilty, mob mentality. But then I think the third boy is found, and they, I forget the, essentially the inciting incident, but they bring in what the the gypsy woman. Uh, because I think they found one of like those dummies that she had made, like the voodoo dolls. Yeah. And people are like, "Oh yeah, she's a she's a gypsy, and she lives up in the mountain area with this one guy who's kind of a hermit, this religious fanatic hermit who lives up in the mountains." And so I think then they go and s- pull her in because they found one of her voodoo dolls. And then like she like admits to killing them, but like, bec- and but then we find out that like. She, she cursed them with her voodoo dolls because they were like playing around the area where her. I forgot if she had a son or daughter that died. I can't even remember. But her kid died, and was buried like where the kids were playing. And she's like, "Get out of here!" And then like cursed them all. She's like, "Yeah, I killed them." Like she like admitted it, but like she actually didn't do anything. But like. The town, again, has, like, another mob mentality. And then, like, a couple, like, towns, people, uh, like, turn on the car radio and, like, come in dragon chains and, like, like two-by-fours and just beat her, like, very badly. And then, like, leave her to die. And she, like, crawls away and gets, to, like, to the highway. No one helps her and she just dies. Yeah, I gotta say, that scene was... I think up until this point, it was, I mean, that changed the feel of the movie for me, that scene. Yeah. Like, it was definitely a different vibe of the movie where I thought it was a very brutal scene, and, like, some of the, like, hitting her, like, it was, like, the special effects or the gore was much more than the rest. Previously, and it just seemed like a very harsh, brutal scene, and it really reminded me of Reservoir Dogs, the scene where the cop gets his ear cut off to stuck in the middle with you where it's like kind of a horrific scene set to like a, like pop know, song, a pop song. And the guy's like dancing, cutting off his ear in reservoir dogs. There's like a jazzy kind of bluesy type song playing from the car. They turn up when they go to basically yeah. beat her in the graveyard. And it kind of like, it was that weird dichotomy of like the song yeah. to what was happening. It was like very, a stylized moment. And yeah. like made it stand out for sure. Like it, like, like you said, a huge tonal shift of the movie. And I think that's probably about the point where Act Three comes in because, like, then there's like another boy that like dies again, and then like the the lady that's being fucking weird by like taunting and calling, like she, you see her call someone too. And then I question... I'm missing so much stuff. <laughs> no, there was a... <laughs> the this movie packs a punch with everything that yeah. happens. But yeah. Um, so after she was beaten to death, then another boy turns up 
dead the next day. So, like, I mean, she'd already been cleared by the police, but, you know, unfortunately, um, the townspeople, you know, weren't convinced. So, um, but yeah, so, um, that happens and, uh, leading to further confusion in the town. And then, um, this is when the journalist, um, learns that the priest, his ha mom, his mom has, um, a young daughter who's, um, deaf and mute. And, um, we see that she pulls off, like, all of her doll's heads. Um, and he kind of is able to look at this and is like, you know, is this a clue? Um, which is pretty insightful. Um, so he thinks that this is a sign that she's, like, seeing these murders because she keeps ripping the doll's heads off. Um, the last one was, um, Donald Duck. So, um, that one was fun at the most recent scene. And, um, so that's when Martelli and, like, Patrizia at this point have, like, teamed up. Um, they go and look for the mom and daughter. And, um, they find them hiding in, like, some shack. Um, and so the mom, like, when they get there, she's, like, imploring them to stop her son. Um, so... You know, this is, like, the big twist reveal of the movie. Um, the priest strangled these boys to keep them from sinning as they grew up into their adult lives, I guess. Um, yeah. Trying to preserve their innocence, so to speak. And somehow he's, like, of this mistaken idea that he can murder young boys um, as a man of God so that they can go to heaven with good souls. <laughs> um, <laughs> which there's a lot to unpack there. But um, so anyway, this leads into um, he tr him trying to throw his own sister off a cliff. Um, but the journalist Martelli stops him. Um, they kind of struggle um, a little bit and the priest falls off the cliff and then dies. So, um, in a very also uh, crazy way. No Sorry kidding. No, you. please. <laughs> I don't really know how to describe what I saw other than, you know. He fell for so long and it was just like, like flashbacks. And it was just like his face is like rubbing against the rocks and like sparks yeah. because he was like wearing glasses or whatever. It was very... I mean, it looked fake, obviously, but it was, like, still, like, what the fuck? It was, like, a very jarring scene. I think that's the right word for it. It was just kind of, like, whoa. Yeah. I just thought he was going to, like, go off the cliff and that was going to be the end. But uh, it kept going. But there's more. And it kept going. And it got more violent. And I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is its stylized death, I guess. We're going to end the movie on. Yeah, and then does it, it ends right there, too, right? Like, after he... There's no, like, yeah, Dana Moan to end. go back to the town. Yeah. The the death of the priest. Well, I guess there's, like, that... Yeah, as you were saying, the flashbacks of him basically giving his motive of why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty messed did up. Get, did you guys see it coming? That the priest was going to be the killer. I mean, I knew it wasn't Patrizia. I knew it wasn't Majara. Um, you know, clearly that was the case, but I did not see that it was going to be the priest. Not at all. So I liked that. I thought it, 
I thought it as a joke at first, and then when he got a little violent with one of the kids, um, yeah. it made him, I was like, oh, okay, he's on my suspicion radar right now. <laughs> yeah, when he's like, you all stay here, and I'm gonna go find yeah, you. Yeah, like, he was like, sh- violently shaking kids. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, oh, that's weird. That's an indicator. <laughs> yeah, I think... I was doing research on Fulci, and I think a lot of his, especially this movie, but a lot of his movies, they said, um, had elements that were commentary on the Catholic Church from, like, just uh, in general, like, teachings and the way the Catholic Church portrayed itself. So knowing that about him and some of his works kind of leads you to believe that it's probably going to be something related to the church because there was a whole church there and a bunch of priests um which i I, is that like i don't know if that's i'm trying to think of other giallo films do they involve the church a lot because what you what have you done to solange did the priests were like a suspect i don't really think there was one in suspiria that i can remember i guess just in any sort of horror movie in general the i guess Catholicism is used because, like, you know, demons or between heaven and hell. Um, so you go there for sanctuary or it's seen as, like, a, a gateway to somewhere else. So I guess those are always elements that are in horror films anyway. I don't think they're prominent, at least that I can remember. I don't think they're super prominent in Argento. Like, there's, like, some, like, so- symbolism, but, like, not, like, outright, like, here's the Catholic Church. Yeah. Well, and I think because of that, with this movie at least, it wasn't released in the U.S. initially, correct? Uh, right, yeah, it never um, came to America until 20 years ago. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously for that reason. Um, that's one of my trivia points, actually. Oh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like What's the plot was trivia? so controversial um didn't make it over here until anchor bay got the rights to the movie and then released it to the country for for the first time ever on dvd so yeah r.i.p r.i.p anchor bay they're gone (laughs) um do we want to do more trivia or since i'm already here yeah hit us up okay um i'm trusting you to cut that out um so um nope stay in the director you can cut it out later when you edit it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so the director was arrested for that infamous scene that we talked about earlier with uh, Patrizia, like, you know, being nude. And then that young boy, like McKelly, like that awkward um, interaction, to say the least. Um, but then he was like, no, it's okay, guys. It's an adult dwarf stand in. And, um, like, okay, that's reassuring. Um, I guess you can tell the difference if you look and you see that the double has a different facial structure than the actress. Um, so, you know, it's fine. Um, and then third, um, nobody in this movie is Italian. We've got, um, <laughs> we've got some Germans, um, somebody like one is Greek. There's two French, um, Frenchmen's, uh, Brazilian and Cuban. But so, um, I thought that was kind of interesting. That yeah, for interesting. an Italian picture, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's really funny. 
Anywhere, I guess this is a general question. Anywhere in trivia or research, did you guys come up with the reasoning for Don't Torture a Duckling as the title? Or do you have any thoughts of your own on why it's called Don't Torture a Duckling? I... The only reason why I know is because I cheated and looked it up. And, like, like, it was, like, I was, like, trying to comprehend what I watched. And then, like, it told me, like, why it was named. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) If you you know, go ahead, because I only know from, like, just general ideas. Um, From what I remember... Is that Dor- Don't Touch Our Duckling is just like the only reference is the clue in the newspaper that the journalist did. He like found um, like a Donald Duck head from the doll that the woman gave the child um, because she is um, the priest's sister? Yeah. I don't know. They're like very young sister. I was very confused how that happened. Anyways, uh, she like saw her older brother like murder, and like was imitating that with the doll. I guess is what they've imagined, and that's why the the priest like tried killing because it was like it was like a clue that led to the killers. Why is the, the name of the movie came into fruition? Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. What was your uh, theories? Well, that essentially it has to all, I feel like, come back to, you know, Donald Duck. And that was the giveaway clue that she knew who the killer was. It was her brother, the priest. But I think I thought it went like a step further where it was a duckling, which is like a baby duck, a duckling. Where I think it was just like, and there were children killed in this movie. So I thought it was just straight up like you know don't, don't torture or kill children. Uh, and yeah. the clue, the, cl- the clue that gave it away was a duck head, and it's a duckling. It's a little more vague and you know mysterious than saying don't torture or kill children. But that's kind of what gave it away, and that's what was being murdered. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes more sense to me <laughs> than what I have found. Yeah, no, that's but it, even though it has to work with the duck, though. Otherwise, like if it was a Porky Pig head, would it be like don't torture a piglet, don't torture piglets, or whatever? <laughs> It'd just be a different. Yeah. Different Good animal. point. One theme that I wanted to bring up before we get into like box office or any sort of other production about this one was I had mentioned earlier that this giallo film really looks at the rural compared to the city which is a a different flip but i thought like a lot of heavy themes in this movie were the modern world versus the ancient world or like the past versus the present where i kept seeing that damn bridge in a bunch of shots all the time that that was the only connection to the the city the outside world was really you had to take that bridge to get out of this small little town. And I think it was Mm -hmm. really trying to draw you to the conclusion that, like, this is an isolated village that they only think about themselves. It is, you know, this is a culture of its own. And whatever comes in here is an outsider, and it's different, and it's not what we we are. It's not 
So we don't accept it right away, which is why Patricia is seen as like this outsider and potential killer is because she comes from the city. And so she's, she's the representation of that city and she's seen as the killer. Also the person who lives in the mountains, who's not really living in the city. Uh, the gypsy woman, La, I forget her name, uh, Majera, Majeria, she's seen as a killer because she kind of lives outside of that culture. Right. Um, outside of their society. So I think it was really looking at not only like modern society versus old society, um, but really outsider, just looking at outsiders differently, you know, having that mob mentality and being able to yeah. see outside of it. Yeah. No, those characters um, illustrate that contrast very well. I guess, do we have any other notes or anything before we do Defender Destroy or Box Office? I can't think of any. No, let's do Box so. Office. Yeah, see, that's that'll be fun. Does anybody have those numbers? Are they even available? I, could, I can't find any. Because um, um, it didn't okay, come no, to our country. Go. I got some Italy numbers. What okay. Is, what is the, the currency of Italy? That's what Lira. I need to know. Lira? Because when they it said was, 600 million was, yeah. lira or whatever, I was like, that's a lot of money. But apparently it's I not. I did the math. It's not. I did the math because I remember, I remember thinking that. I was like, what the fuck? I think it was like, <laughs> it's like a few thousand dollars. Really? Really? Yeah. Which is like, but I also was hard to figure out too because like, you know how like, you know, like, oh, like, a million dollars, like, in 1970 was a lot of money, but, like, it's, like, inflation rates are different in the U.S. than they were in Italy, so it's just, like, trying to calculate that. So, like, it was, it's, like, that amount of money is, like, $3,000 in today's U.S. dollars. So, like, I don't know if, like, how much, like... I'm sure, I, I think actually Italy was like not really in a good place in the 70s. I don't know. I don't really know anything actually. <laughs> but I would imagine since it was still pretty recent from World War II mm-hmm. that they weren't, you know, a lot of European countries were pretty fucked after World War II. Yeah. Well, it didn't get a wide release and a lot of it was because of, at the time, the content of, I mean, I think commentary on the catholic church the killing of children and some of the gore i thought at the time might have been excessive for people so it didn't get a yeah. huge release especially for a very catholic country yeah but i don't know of any sequels or anything like that that spawned from it. it's kind of a one one and done for Fulci. yeah and it doesn't have like the unofficial trilogy either that like a lot of these uh horror movies we've kind of seen like a trend with like with argento and um a couple other people we've talked about how they have, they have like unofficial trilogies that are three movies related to each other which is kind of refreshing in a way sometimes like i just want to be able to like watch a movie by itself and call it a day i agree hundred percent like if, if you nail it like sometimes i feel like people like a movie so much or it makes so much that you know we gotta make a sequel we gotta make so many because people liked it but the story doesn't lend itself to sequels or a trilogy and the other ones suffer because of it mm-hmm. it it, it kind of sucks where if someone makes a one-off movie that's really good just let it let it die there like let it live in immortality is like this really good movie 
couldn't put it better myself. And I think, like, another, like, side conversation is that when I'm, like, a lot of these failed franchises that we've seen in Hollywood is that they want to set up these, like, franchise maker blockbuster movies and leave open for sequels and it fucking bombs when, like, it's like, why don't you just write a movie, like, contained and just, like, work and then, like, how would you go further after that? Like, they're, like, they're trying to have all this planning and have, like, it almost feels like an unfinished product when mm-hmm. we get these, uh, like, franchise starter movies that don't uh, turn into anything. Right, like the DC Universe, Marvel Universe, or they try to do the Universal Monsters recently. They were trying to remake that. And they're trying to create, like, a whole series of movies before they even know what'll take off. Yeah. It's really annoying to me. But I was listening to another podcast recently that I thought was an interesting idea. One thing I love going to movies, I miss going to movies. I haven't been to one in months because of the current situation. Yeah. But I think it was Steven Soddenberg, who he's a director of like Traffic, Aaron Brockovich, uh, very good um, director. But Ocean's he, Eleven. Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> That's right. Um I think side effects is another one. Um, but he mentioned also Magic Mike. I got to always throw that in there. He did Magic Mike, the first one. He's uh, a well-rounded director. Yeah. Which he made Logan Lucky, I think it was, with like Daniel Craig, Adam Driver, oh, yeah, Channing yeah. Tatum. And he knew from like the first weekend the data was so good that it was going to bomb. Like people weren't going to go see this and it was not going to make the money. That it, that it needs to in the theater. But it's going to stay in the theater for like at least a month, if not more. That's just, you know, how it how the setup is. It's going to sit there and people won't go. So he's kind of developing a strategy that he wanted to start with Logan Lucky that basically has an on-off button that is, you know, release it to the theaters. Uh, movies should be in theaters. But like if you know it bombs in like the first weekend and people aren't going, like you can hit the button takes it out of the theaters and it sends it to video on demand at home. And for like the, the next month you can get those like, like they're doing right now, the $20 you can purchase it at home to rent it. And then after a few more months, it's like three bucks to rent it, but you don't have it going to theaters where people have no interest leaving their homes to see that one. So it doesn't have to sit there for a month. Plus it could just be a digital. People can watch it. <laughs> yeah. Or like I, I've seen plenty of movies that are coming out in theaters that I'm like, that looks good, but I'll wait for that one on Netflix because exactly. I don't think it's a a movie, a big movie setting. Where like I think they made a great point in this podcast. Sorry, I'm doing like a whole side bit on movie no, distribution. Right. This is interesting. They were like, they don't think the movie Marriage Story, which was up for Best Picture, it won I think a few Oscars, would have had the appeal, let alone the audience that saw it. If it was released in theaters, it was straight to Netflix. And I think definitely people were like, oh, I've heard good things about this. Let's watch it tonight. Like, it's on Netflix. Yeah. You can watch it. Where I don't think that movie lends itself. It's like a two and a half hour movie about the divorce, essentially. And, like, coming to terms with that um, as a couple lends itself well to, like, I'm going to go see this Saturday night. Um, and I think that would be an interesting dynamic for movies going forward. No kidding. It is weird. 
And another thing that I like to throw in, like, on top of what you're saying, Matt, is that, like, another thing that I would say, uh, used to, at least, like, I haven't gotten, like, Redbox for a while, just because I was afraid of, like, coronavirus or whatever, but, uh, if it was, like, a movie that I was, like, somewhat interested in, but I was, like, ah, I don't really want to see it in theaters, like, I'll write to, like, like, I know it probably, at least it'll come to Redbox in, like, a month or two. And then you could see it for like three dollars, and then fucking return it in a day. Like, mm-hmm. bada boom, bada bing, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> yeah, which is you know interesting. We talk about all that because the movie we watched for the podcast, "Don't Torture a Duckling," has been so hard to come by for a while. Um, yeah, it took forever for it to become available to most people. And even now, it's like I was actually looking into like if you could even own the movie. And, like, there's, like, a DVD of it, and there's a Blu-ray of it, but it's, like, an English company, so I don't even know if it's, like, region-locked or whatever, because it, yeah. cause that company, I like that company, because they have, like, really cool art styles for their movies, um, but they don't have a whole lot, whole lot of stuff that's available in Region A, which is America, yeah. I think, I think it's all the Americas. I'm not entirely sure actually how the regions work. Because, like, regions were different. There was more regions for DVDs, but now that Blu-ray is out, I think there's actually only A, B, and C. I don't know. It's fucking... It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it. (laughs) Now that we've talked about Don't Torture a Duckling... Before we go into Defender Destroy, I just want to throw out there for anybody listening. We I know we've said it's kind of hard to watch, but I know it's on Shudder. Um, you can watch it there, and I believe I believe it was on Amazon at one point that you could rent. Um, so you can stream it at those two places for sure. I don't think it's hard to get your own copy if you want it, but I believe it. You can watch it there if you'd like to. With that, I think we can launch into Defender Destroy. Does anybody want to take it first? Oh, I guess I'll cut this if we want. But I was thinking uh, it'd be interesting. We kind of just say who wants to go first. I think it'd be interesting uh, if the person who chose the movie goes first. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, so like you give your opinion of the movie you chose, and then the other people weigh in. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, I picked this one. Uh, I'm going to go with defending this movie. I think um, it it wasn't as violent as I was expecting. Even though we said it's violent, like, I think I kind of hyped, hyped it up a little bit because I remember um, Lindsay being uncomfortable with the last movie with Solange. And I remember... 100%. So, like, uh, I remember... Before she even mentioned it, I was, like, kind of worried about that, too. Because I, I know in IMDb, you could, like, look at, like, how severe certain things are. Um, and it people said that Don't Torture Duckling is more severe. Maybe because it's aimed at kids. Like, child killings, that that's the case. But I felt like it's not... I didn't think it was as graphic. Um... So I think it's a little more watchable than Solange. Um, uh, I would say, probably, honestly, the scene that makes me really like it is is the murder scene of the gypsy. Like, that scene just, like, stuck out to me. And I, like, 
I guess I'm going to say it's a cool scene, you know, as a, as a horror fan, I think it's like a, an interesting scene and definitely sets it apart from, um, other movies. And it's, and I definitely was confused. I didn't know who the killer was and I didn't know what people's roles were. Mm-hmm. So I guess I had, had that going for it too. I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, I'll take it from here. Um, like I said, I liked that twist ending. Um, it, you know, it was clear from the beginning that there was more to the story. Um, and, you know, with it being the priest. Um, but then I was like, being Catholic, I'm like, hmm, I see where you're going with this. Um, you know, as far as uh, the criticism. But overall, it really creeped me out. Um, it kept me guessing. It's not like any sort of story that I've seen before. And it's not for the faint of heart. Um, so I'm going to defend this movie. All right. Okay. I guess that that leaves me. Um, so where to begin? I I had never seen it, so this is my first viewing of Don't Torture a Duckling. And like the first, like the exposition, the setup, I thought was it was kind of slow, and I guess it was just really kind of introducing the characters, I think, and what you were going to see. So it it, it was. The pacing was slow at the beginning, but I, I thought overall the whole movie was shot really well. I thought a lot of the shots, like of the landscape, um, it was really well done. Even like some of the the POVs of the kids in the woods, or like they felt like they were being chased. I thought it was shot really well. It was staged really well. And as soon as the cemetery scene came, that Pete referenced the, the, the gypsy character being killed, I think the movie totally switched tonally for me, and I was like 100% like engaged at that point going forward like I thought the plot just kind of kept going and going and going and unraveling uh, twists and turns until the very end so before I defend or destroy I I wanted to make a comment on what Pete said about Solange in this film I think it is has to do with the, the killings of the children is what people say the severity makes it higher and there's no, like, there's a knife being used in Solange. It's really stranglings here. And you only see one killing, really. Well, two killings, I think, on screen. And the rest are kind of, you find the bodies later. Or I feel like there's more murder scenes you see in Solange. But with that, uh, I thought it was an engaging plot. It was shot really well. It was... Again, as Lindsay said, something that I hadn't really seen before. Much more digestible than Solange. I think people would enjoy this one, especially with all the stuff you watch now that are like crime thriller movies. You could get through Don't Torture a Duckling. And I will defend it. I thought it was I thought it was well done. It will make me want to watch more Fulci, which I'm not as versed in. Definitely watch The Beyond, I would say. It's also on Shudder. I saw that in my queue. <laughs> that I added. <laughs> I was like, mm, who did that? I see Dead Heat's back in here too, but we can get back to that later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but with that, I think that is a unanimous defense for Don't Torture a Duckling. Check it out on Shutter. I believe it's on Amazon as well. But until next time... I am Matt Johnson. Get at us on Facebook, Twitter, 
YouTube. We have our, our podcast up on there and our website. Let us know what you're thinking. If you have any episodes, movies you'd like us to do, mini episodes, ideas, or even blogs to write. If you have any ideas for us, we're always looking to hear from you. Subscribe to us on anywhere you listen to podcasts, really just SoundClouds and iTunes. Um, just subscribe to us, leave a review there. It's always appreciated. But until next time, I'm Matt Johnson, and I remain in the shadows. Uh, I got nothing interesting <laughs> to say. <laughs> I don't think I even need to say it, but me either.